Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. I wouldn't blame you if you didn't know what day of the week it was because this time of year, post-Christmas, post-New Year's, they all just kind of blend into one long day. But I can assure you that this is Seattle Sports Saturday. I'm Curtis Rogers. He is Taylor Jacobs. Taylor, first off, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Curtis. Yeah, welcome welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and happy to be here in this new year. Even in this type of an economy with uh, COVID rampant, we started a new year. We did, in this economy. Uh, but yeah, we are with you for the next two hours here on 710 ESPN Seattle. With you until 1 o'clock here on Seattle Sports Saturday. And there is a lot, a lot to get to, especially stuff that has happened within the last 24 hours or so in the NFL world, especially that race for the number one seed that the Seahawks find themselves in the thick of. Some new developments regarding the Saints running back room this morning. We'll get to those uh, coming up here in this hour, what that means for Seattle's pursuit of that number one seed, which is still a very real possibility despite the chances of it happening being kind of slim, but we will get to that uh, coming up here uh, in the first hour. Also, uh, some college football news this morning uh, with Tom Herman's firing at Texas, what that could possibly mean for a a memorable name around these parts, what that could uh, look like here coming up in the 2021 season. But, Taylor, uh, the task at hand for the Seahawks, the number one seed is still up for grabs. It, it's going to be a monumental effort if they do get that one seed. But I think tomorrow – the Seahawks know that they can't take their foot off the gas pedal despite having the division wrapped up and despite knowing that the worst they could possibly be is the three seed. Yeah, and I I feel like as nervous as the injury sort of thought is that floats around in your head about could people get hurt in that final game, it is it, to me it feels like it's such a benefit to play that game to have that momentum. You know, Kansas City is going to sit Mahomes, Hill, a lot of those stars that they have to get ready for the playoffs. And I feel like sometimes when you take the foot off the gas, Curtis, you're right. You lose that forward momentum and going into the playoffs, it feels like all of those little things are so important to have on your side. So rule number one for tomorrow, get out of there with no injuries. But beyond that, let's see a nice clean game from the Seahawks team as they figure out and they take care of their own business and figure out who they're going to be facing in that first round of the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a a very interesting day of scoreboard watching throughout the NFL. Uh, obviously, in the NFC, with so much up for grabs still, uh, and then in the AFC, you've got teams like Cleveland trying to break the the longest playoff drought in the NFL. Uh, they just need to win, and they're in, which is a lot easier said than done, especially with this Browns team that has been so unpredictable. Uh, just so much in store for Week 17. It feels good that there is a lot of uncertainty heading into the final week of the season because there's some years where it's just maybe one or two games that will decide the last few positions in the playoffs. But this year it feels like there's a ton to play for, especially with how many teams in the AFC there are still alive. Over half that conference has more than 10 wins, uh, which is absurd. Uh, but I think it also speaks to why the NFC has been so bad because the AFC has been so good, the balance of power shifting over that way. But, yeah, we got plenty to get to today, so why bother waiting around any further? Let's get to this hour's big three. Number one. 
Well, Seattle, the NFC West Championship, the coveted NFC West Championship flag, that'll be hanging in Seattle. Uh, with one week left to go in the regular season, your Seahawks clinched that with their victory over the Los Angeles Rams last week. But now, focus has shifted to the 49ers, the finale tomorrow going to look a little bit different than it has in years past and even at the beginning of the year because a lot to play for for the Seahawks not a lot for the 49ers to play for uh, at the end of this season other than maybe draft positioning Uh, and for the Seahawks can't be lower than that three seed like Curtis mentioned but can be as high as that one seed with a win and some help from the Bears and Panthers to beat the Packers and Saints we'll get into some of those scenarios in the 11 o'clock hour but for the 49ers Seven players already ruled out, including former Seahawk Richard Sherman ruled out because of that calf. Also not going to see Brandon Nayuk, Kevin Givens, Javon Kinlaw, Debo Samuel, Quan Williams, and Dre Greenlaw all ruled out for tomorrow's game already for the 49ers. So going to be an interesting looking lineup in the gold and red. But for the Seattle side of things, only DJ Dallas and DB Jason Stanley officially ruled out. You did have Mike Yapati, Greg Olson, Carlos Hyde, Demarius Randall, and Brandon Shell show up on that injury list as questionable. Number two. Something about the eastern part of this state, that 509 area code college basketball, but the Zags and Cougs still undefeated. Shout out to Taylor's. Woo. Cougs there. Go Cougs. Wazoo, surprisingly, the Pac-12's lone undefeated team at this point in the season. They take on Arizona later tonight right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. I believe tip-off is 7.30 p.m., so make sure you're tuning in for that. As for Gonzaga, not only are they playing like the best team in the country, they're also playing like the best Bulldogs team in school history. Jalen Suggs looking like a surefire top-10 NBA draft pick. And it's not like Gonzaga's wins have been cheapies either. Uh, Four of their nine wins against teams ranked higher than 16th in the country, including two top-10 wins. Uh, but on the west side of the state, woof, and, and not a good woof. It is, if he's not on the hot seat yet, the temperature is rising on Mike Hopkins and the Huskies. The only Power 5 school along with UW that has one or fewer wins, that'd be Kentucky, unbelievably, so go figure. But John Calipari, he's built up enough equity over the years to have plenty of job security. But it's year four for Hopkins, so he should have this team built to his vision. He might want to get his eyes checked before this gets any worse. Number three. Well, Sonics fans, grab that seatbelt, clip in, buckle up, because it's going to be another one of those rides. As Adam Silver bringing up the conversations of expansion in the NBA again, dusting off that old conversation piece, and this time mentioning Seattle, um, or multiple people mentioning Seattle, Silver not doing it specifically, but then coming back and talking about how they'd love to get back here at some point. He made an appearance on Jalen Rose's podcast, talking about Seattle being in mind for possible expansion, you know, having that conversation back on the table due to some of the pandemic restrictions. You had a whole bunch of um, salary and incoming income impacted by that uh, the COVID uh, outbreak as well. So for the NBA, could Seattle be back on the table as an expansion? Should they be? New arena in town, state of the art. Will that fit what the NBA is looking for? 
It's clear Seattle's a front runner, but you know they have to most likely have two expansion teams. Who could be that second one? Could it be Las Vegas? Curtis had mentioned off-air a couple other possibilities. Maybe Vancouver, maybe Kansas City. Still don't know, but most likely another West Coast team in the NBA if they do expand, if they try to go that route to make some more money and add revenue back to the NBA. I don't know if I'm ready to get hurt again, Taylor. I don't know, but I'm... I'm, I'm I am sick. ready. Yeah. I'm a fiend for this pain, Curtis. I love it. I just can't get enough of it. I don't know why. It's not healthy. I'm sure later on in life I'll regret it, but until I'm at a Sonics game in person, I'm going to keep on keeping on. We'll, uh, we'll discuss the possible NBA expansion, or at least those talks that have sort of ramped up in the last couple of weeks. That's coming your way at 1145 this morning. Some honorable mention, Snacks Harrison. He was waived this week by the Seahawks, picked up by the Packers. Uh, so maybe you might see him at some point in the playoffs. Hopefully, if it comes to that, it's in the NFC Championship game and no sooner. Luke Wilson returning to the Seahawks. Uh, after spending some time with Baltimore, he's joining the practice squad. Uh, and then just this morning, it looks like Greg Olson will be held out of the season finale as a precaution. Uh, he's coming back from that ruptured plantar fascia. Uh, he played last week, uh, but I think they're just you know, putting the pause on him for now so that he's healthy enough for the playoffs. And then the Husky football team getting some good news this week with a trio of contributors, Kate Otten, Jackson Kirkland, and Zion Tupuola Fatui, better known as ZTF. They're all coming back for 2021. So those are the honorable mentions. That was this hour's big three. If you want to join in on the conversation, the Busy Hard Seltzer text line is there for you, 710-710. But coming up next, Taylor, it's not likely – that the Seahawks get the number one seed, but some things You're have gone. There's a chance. <laughs> there is a chance, and with the developments of the last 24 hours or so, it's looking better and better for those chances for the Seahawks. We'll tell you exactly why that is coming up next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Four percent. That is what Seattle's chances of landing the number one seed in the NFC playoffs are going into tomorrow. At least that's according to 538, the projection website. But, Taylor, just looking at what the Saints and Packers are going through right now and, and what and just within the last about 48 hours, 24 to 48 hours or so, their trajectories have changed significantly based off of injuries, based off of players being placed under the COVID list. Uh, the Saints are going to be without an entire position group tomorrow. Uh, Jay Glazer of Fox Sports reporting that New Orleans will be without their running back room, so no Alvin Kamara, which was we knew that was going to be the case yesterday. But now no Latavius Murray, no, no any other running back. So they're going to have to convert Ty Montgomery, who was once a receiver, who was also once a running back, who is now back to being a mm-hmm. receiver, is now back to being a running back. Uh, and then they're going to promote somebody from their practice squad. That's what's going on with the Saints. And then earlier this week, the Packers left tackle David Bakhtiari. He tore his ACL in practice. He'll be out for the season. Bakhtiari, he's a an all-pro caliber type player. That is a big, big loss for the Packers. Packers going up against the Bears, a, a team that has got a lot to play for. They win their, you know, their playoff hopes are still alive. 
And the Panthers are a team that they're playing the Saints. They're a team that can sneak up on 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 teams. So Taylor, I'm not saying that the Seahawks are are dead set on getting the number one seed here. But all of a sudden, it becomes a lot more real based off of what we've seen over the last couple of days. Yeah, you got to play for the one seed now, right? Like even earlier in this week, it was still on the table. 4% was the number they're throwing around there. Before the injury news, Kamara and or Bakhtiari's injury news and the Kamara COVID news, you still felt like the Seahawks had to go for it, right? That you knew the Bears were playing for something. They had something bigger. Panthers, divisional rivals. Again, they're both rivals here. So divisional rivals seem to always have the number of, of the other team that they're playing in a division that you see it across the league. They're Look at the Chiefs, right? They're losing to the Oakland Raiders, a team so up and down. But they see them multiple times a year, so they have those looks. They're comfortable playing in those games and those atmospheres. So I don't think the Panthers are afraid of this Saints team. And they may even be more excited now that you're right, that the whole entire running back room is out for the New Orleans Saints. But the Bakhtiari one stands out to me because New Orleans is going to get some of those guys back, right? And and Kamara most likely will come back during the playoffs. They'll get Latavius Murray, who's a fantastic backup. Let's not forget that. We'll most likely get him back as well and some of those other running backs. But... For the Packers, uh, you got to be feeling a little bit nervous that that staple in the offensive line is gone, and that Aaron Rodgers, he, the guy he could trust with his life, is not going to be there. So for the Seahawks now, the the attention shifts to, yes, don't get injured, play hard, but if you can win this thing, let's go for it. Absolutely, and you bring up Bakhtiari's injury. As we all know, watching Aaron Rodgers play, the way to disrupt the Packers' offense is to get pressure on Rodgers, is to put him on his back. And his biggest safety blanket is Bakhtiari at that left tackle position. He's out for the season. Who knows who's going to be in there starting for the Packers going forward here. But I guarantee you they're nowhere near as good as what Bakhtiari's been in his career. And so because of that, it kind of opens the window or it kind of opens the door for teams that aren't the Saints and aren't the Packers to challenge for an NFC title. And I think this NFC playoff race, yeah, the Saints and Packers have been good for a, a big portion of this season, but I think it is anybody's game in the NFC, far more so than the AFC. I think in the AFC, it's probably a two-horse race between Buffalo and Kansas City. Um, yep. But right now in the NFC, a team like Seattle could easily – easily make it to the NFC championship game just based off the randomness that it's been in in the the entire season. And so because of what we're seeing with the Saints, a team that no longer relies heavily upon Drew Brees' right arm, he's not throwing for 400 yards anymore. Michael Thomas is out right now as well. That's a team that relies heavily on that run game. Ty Montgomery is not Alvin Kamara. Like, let's not confuse the two here. It makes... A very it, it makes it going to be very interesting for the Seahawks tomorrow, as the one seed is is very much there for the taking. Um, but I look at the Seahawks tomorrow and what kind of lies ahead for them. There have been a lot of people this week that are kind of like, well, the Seahawks, you know, the chances of them getting the one seed very low. They're pretty much locked into the number three seed, but that chance is there. 
And Pete Carroll this week in cut number one talked about how it's important for them to maintain their consistency and resting their starters won't accomplish that. The other side of this is, is maintaining the consistency and maintaining the, 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 you know, the, the regimen that we have and the mentality that we have. Man, I don't want to break that thing right now. I don't want to break that mentality at all. We, we want to stay right with it and keep pushing and, and, and trying to get better. You know, we got a lot of room to get better. We made a lot of mistakes that we could, we could fix during the course of this week for the next game and, and leading into the next couple games and all that. So, uh, you know, I don't, like, I don't like taking the chance of breaking, breaking the, the mentality. Taylor, when you hear that cut from Pete, uh, I get the sense that we're going to see 60 minutes of Russell Wilson, 60 minutes of Bobby Wagner, 60 minutes of, of just the, the, the most key guys for this team because of just what is at stake here. And, and if I'm – there's no bye seat – or there's no bye week now for the number two seed in the NFC. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. So it makes the number one seed that much more important – and we know Pete, and we know just how much he loves to be, uh, you know, he he's able to get the team to be cognizant of the situations that they're in. This one is incredibly important, and I would be stunned if the Seahawks, uh, you know, don't show up to play tomorrow because of of what is at stake. And not only that, Curtis, I believe the other two games are also afternoon games, right? So you're going to be scored. Yeah, so they're all, they're all kicking off here afternoon. Yep, all, both 125. So it's going on during your game. Pretty much as soon as kickoff happens, you're playing with the assumption that these these other teams are just going to win, right? But first and foremost, you have to take care of your own business, right? You have to take care of the Niners. What would be fantastic to see is is this Seahawks team off the big win against the Rams, rolls into this Niners game, and puts up that early lead to where the, the coaches can actually watch that scoreboard and let them know, hey, look, we got something to play for. Let, let's keep him going, or if it's already out of the question, maybe you start to pull some people towards the end of the game, the last few minutes of the game, or even if the Seahawks are up early, maybe you can start to pull people that way. That We haven't been in a whole lot of Seahawks games in our lives where the Seahawks go up a whole <laughs> big mess early and they can start pulling people. But look, this is what you want, right? You want your team to be playing for something in Week 17. You want them to be getting healthy and, and getting healthier as the weeks go on. And the Seahawks team, the injury report, you know, when we came back on air and some of the weeks here uh, in the middle of the season, it took a whole segment to get through just the names of the people who are on the injury list, let alone talk about why they're hurt or even what the impact is. So to be getting healthy, to have the Bears playing for something, to have the Panthers have pride on the line and, and still have some of that on, on the line for them as well. It's possible. Don't tell me it's not possible. Would I bet on it? I don't think so. But I still no. think one of those two te- I think one of those two teams is going to win. I don't think both will and I think the Seahawks will take care of business. And it feels more likely that this Bears team takes care of business because they have something to play for. And that Bakhtiari injury, I think, is going to be massive. Yeah, I think that one's going to have probably a bigger impact than the Kamara injury because Kamara is just yeah. going to miss one week. 
And the Saints, I mean, they still could get the one seed as well if Green Bay loses, New Orleans wins. But Kamara is going to return at some point. Like, there's no way he's going to be out for the season unless, you know, there's some complications here. But I I believe all the reports say that he's asymptomatic right now um, because of testing positive for COVID-19. But, I mean, you look at just what these – what is at stake here on Sunday – uh, it, it makes for a very interesting watch tomorrow. And I, I don't know about you, Taylor, but if there's a way you can get the Seahawks game and then also get red zone going on a monitor nearby, I think that's how most Seahawks fans are going to be watching tomorrow. If, you know, cause there's, there's just so much to be watched outside of the Seahawks game. Yep. Yep. Make sure you put the Seahawks game on the big main screen, whatever your main screen is. Get a secondary screen, a phone, an iPad, a computer, something to watch some of those other games. Scoreboard watch because you're right. There's so much to play for. And we know the history when the Seahawks get that one seed. They tend to go all the way. So let's keep that in mind as they also try and play for that one seed is that Seattle. Yes, there won't be the 12s there. We won't be there in person, but to be here and to have that routine set in Seattle and to have everyone have to come into our building is a big, big deal. Even this year. Coming up in this hour, we will get into those NBA expansion talks, rumors, whispers, whatever they are right now. We're going to amplify them coming up at 11.45. But up next, what can the Seahawks show you tomorrow that will give you confidence going into the playoffs? We discuss that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Text coming in to the Viziard Seltzer text line 710 710 the 925. No idea where that's at, but shout out to you for joining us here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Yeah. They said, even if the Saints or Packers lose, Seattle secures the two seed and two home playoff games. Yeah, even the two seed, very beneficial to any team uh, with a, a chance of advancing here in the postseason. So plenty to play for for the Seahawks on Sunday. You don't want to be resting your starters, especially with the one seed still up for grabs. But with the Seahawks, with their postseason position pretty much secured. We know they can't be any worse than the three seed. There's not a lot for them to lose tomorrow. So we want to know what can the Seahawks show you tomorrow that will give you confidence going into the playoffs? Text that into the Viziard Seltzer text line, 710-710. What do you want to see from the Seahawks tomorrow that will give you confidence going into the playoffs? And, And Taylor, this 49ers team, with all the injuries they've had this season, I think 30 players have ended up on IR at some point this year. They still have managed to put up a top five defense. It is absurd how good they have been on that side of the ball. And I look at the Seahawks offense right now and just kind of how, I guess, uncomfortable it's made Seahawks fans over the last month or so. To me, the thing that I want to see from them is more than, I would say, 24 points. I think. 24 points and, and more is going to put me at ease going into the playoffs a little bit because this 49ers defense has, has you know, largely not taken a step back from where they were last year despite the significant losses they've suffered. And this Seahawks offense right now, for whatever reason, just hasn't clicked the way it had in the season's first half. But 
if the offense can get going right now, heading into the playoffs, that's going to put me at ease. What about you? What do you What do you look at this team right now and say, this needs to happen for me to feel comfortable? I think yours kind of plays into mine. I would love for the the run to set up that pass game that we saw earlier this season when Carson was healthy and when the offense was really rolling so that the team can put up 24-plus points on this Niners defense, which is a good defense. One of the better defenses you might see for a couple weeks, right? Yeah, I mean, the Rams were the best. They're the best defense maybe in the league. So... For me, you get that consistency in the run game, which is where we know the Seattle offense lives and breathes. It's where it gets its life. And then that allows Russell to, sh- to hit Russell on the short pass to lock it, get Lockett in, in, into the offense again, make sure DK Metcalf gets a couple of those deep balls, balls and he's excited about his role in this offense heading into the playoffs. You get Disley and some of these tight ends and Hollister working in there as well. So... For me, offensively, just get that rhythm to see that consistency when you're running the ball. You don't always have to run on first down, but 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 getting the run game going early enough, getting the offensive line pushing back on the defensive line of the 49ers, establish, reestablishing the line of scrimmage, and just allowing this offense to breathe and hopefully scoring 24 points and leading to something like that and a performance like that heading into the playoffs when they know they're going to be playing some good teams. Yeah, a lot of good techs coming in on the Busy Heart Seltzer text line, uh, 710-710. Taylor, you brought up the run game there, the two five three. They want to see breakout games from Rashad Penny and Will Disley this weekend. Mm. Penny, it looks like he is going to get the training wheels taken off this weekend. It looks like he's going to get you know his, his what they expected his workload to be at the beginning of the season. That could be very beneficial to Seattle's running game, especially – with Chris Carson giving him a breather or two here or there, Penny being a pretty effective running back when he's at his healthiest. Uh, some other good ones, the, let's see here, 206 and 480, both want to see the Seahawks score at least 30. Uh, and then uh, 360 says, when they get a large lead, not to take their foot off the gas and play a whole 60 minutes. That's that's going to be a, a very interesting one because I think the last time, the last time these two teams played, Seattle won by 10. It looked like they were going to blow them out, but in that fourth quarter, Nick Mullins really rallied the troops there and made it a little more a little more uncomfortable than I think a lot of Seahawks fans were expecting at that point. But no Nick Mullins on Sunday. C.J. Beathard is going to get the start, so that's going to be a little bit different. Um, some other ones here, uh, 253. They want to see Rashad Penny get 100 yards. I think that would make him the first Seahawks running back this season to get 100 yards in a game because I don't think Chris Carson's gone over 100. Uh, so some other stuff there. Uh, a lot of good ones. Keep them coming on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line, 710-710. Taylor, how about on the defensive side of the ball? Seattle's defensive unit has been one of the best in football, really, for the same time that Seattle's offense has kind of sputtered here. What do you want to see from this defense going up against a San Francisco team that just doesn't have the firepower that we all kind of expected they would at the beginning of the year? It's got to be pressure. You got to get to the quarterback. You got to reestablish that of uh, uh, the line of scrimmage, push it back, make the quarterback uncomfortable, make the plays break down, and make the quarterback scramble and think on his feet. Like these are the things the Seahawks defense needs to continue to do 
heading forward because that's what they've been building this whole thing is is solely on that first step, which is the defensive line getting there. And it allows Jamal Adams to blitz on the occasion. It allows KJ to get into space and to take down some of those bubble screens and things like that. So to me, that defensive line, and they've been so great. And, and touche to all the coaches and to those those players there on the defensive front. For, for finding their rhythm, finding their, their roles, right? Because you're seeing a lot of people playing those roles, and you see LJ Collier getting into the backfield when Reed's getting double teamed, and you see Reed on a one-on-one being able to, to break up some of the things. So would love to see that defensive line to continue because it just it opens things up for the back of the defense, the linebackers, and then that final secondary line of defense. Well, and to the the defensive line, just one thing that really stood out to me this week in kind of researching this game, Pro Football Focus. Now, you you can think whatever you want about them and how they grade yeah. stuff out, but there are some grades that they have that are very telling of of how a team has played or how a player has played. This one to me really stood out this week, and it's it's one that I think kind of snuck up on me too. It's Pro Football Focus has Seattle's rushing defense grade and tackling grade. As the highest in the NFL, this is a defense that in the season's first half was historically bad. There was no worse defense in league history to that point. To go from where that was to where they are now, where you've got a a well-respected NFL analytics website saying that, hey, these guys are actually maybe the best unit against the run in the NFL – uh, that to me just kind of speaks volumes about where this team has come from and where it's gone. And uh, I mean, hat tip to John Schneider for finding the pieces to put in place there with guys like Carlos Dunlap uh, and, and just allowing guys like Puna Ford and Jaron Reed to flourish with Dunlap right there and Rasheem Green and Alton Robinson. It's been a collective team effort on that defensive line. Um, and then that tackling grade too. I mean, when you look at this Seahawks team, they don't miss many tackles. That's been a really good thing about this group this year, and I think Jamal Adams has a lot to do with that. Obviously, Bobby and KJ playing you know, with the level that they're doing. I think KJ, this has been his best season, and I don't think that's really hyperbole to say that it's been no. his best season. Um, you know, Looking at where the Seahawks defense is compared to where they were now, it's, it's so crazy to think that this is even the same team, and yet here we are on the cusp of the playoffs. And honestly, I don't really have a care. I don't really have a, a concern at all with the defense at this point. No. And and with those grades, the pro football focus grades, um, I think if you had asked Pete Carroll before the season, if you could take one defensive sort of stat or focus and have your team be the number one in that. I'm sure turnovers and tackling would be one and two on his list. And to see them tackling, right, it's such a fundamental part of the game. It, it, it happens on almost every single play, right? There's almost a tackle on every single play unless they run out of bounds. So to have those fundamentals, which Pete preaches so often, that they get back to these fundamentals, that they always keep those as core to the philosophy as possible, because then it allows them to be creative in the other stuff as well. When you have that faith in what you know you can do, and they know they can tackle. They know they can wrap up, and guys don't break tackles. They don't give up the extra yards that way. 
that it allows you to play that type of defense, right? It allows you to play some man. It allows you to take some of those risks and blitz with Jamal Adams because you know your defense is going to take care of business when they have to make that tackle in space and that it's not going to get busted for a 25-yard gain. They're going to keep it in front of them. And, yes, sometimes they'll get seven yards, seven yards, seven yards, eight yards against this defense. But they're not getting the big plays. They're not getting the touchdowns. And when they get down in the red zone, they bend, but they don't break. Some more good texts. Coming into the Viziard Seltzer text line, 710-710-253 says they want to see three turnovers forced by Seattle's defense. That's, that's a good one. I like that. I'll take it. Uh, to that one, also 206 says plus two in turnover differential. It's a good sign heading into the playoffs. I'll take that as well. 253, though, we brought up the uh, one text from, I forget which area code, saying Rashad Penny, they want to see him go over 100 yards. Uh, 253 says San Francisco hasn't allowed a 100-yard rusher in 33, ga- 33 games. But I say to that, but what? it's not 34. We're yeah. not at 34 yet. So, not yet. Uh, they say not yet. And yeah, the 49ers are most vulnerable at game 34. And I'll take 90 from Carson and 80 from Penny and, like, 40 from Hyde. Give me that. Sure, their streak will gladly. continue. But I'll gladly take those rushing numbers from the Seahawks. <laughs> Four two five. They want a fast start and no soft defense. Uh, keep those coming in on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line seven ten seven ten. But coming up next, there been some whispers, some chatter about expansion in the NBA, and we're here to tell you why this might be. After what thirteen years of no Sonics basketball in town, why this might actually be Seattle's best opportunity to get a basketball team back in town. That's next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. So there we were, just minding our own business, celebrating the holidays as we do this time of year. The NBA season getting underway, another one without Seattle, but how much longer could that be? Because... If you've heard anything from NBA Commissioner Adam Silver over the last couple of weeks, it seems as though expansion is very much on the forefront of his mind, despite him sort of downplaying it in his State of the Union address before the tip-off of the NBA season around Christmas week there. But in this cut from Adam Silver uh, on Jalen Rose's podcast this last week, Talking about potential expansion cities and why Seattle, of all cities, would be at the very top of his list. What U.S. city would you like to see host an NBA team next? Again, I I try to be a bit politic here. There are a bunch of cities out there that would be fantastic hosts, but I'm going to say Seattle because Mm. I was in this league for many years. Well, Seattle still had a team, mm-hmm. and we were all sad. We understood the circumstances, but we're sad. We were all sad to see, and I know I speak for, for, you know, David as well. That that was just it was unfortunate set of circumstances that led to that team leaving, and it still remains a great market. I know I hear from fans of the old Sonics fans in Seattle all the time, and so. There's no doubt when we do turn back to expansion, which we invariably will one day, that Seattle will be at the top of the list. Taylor, 13 years have passed since the Sonics last played in Seattle. 
I can't recall a single time in those 13 years that anybody associated with the NBA or the NBA power structure, the hierarchy that is in Manhattan controlling this league, that they've even so much mentioned Seattle as a, a possibility for expansion until these last couple of weeks when Adam Silver did just that at uh, on Jalen Rose's podcast. What do you make of all this? Because it just it came out of nowhere, but looking at the tea leaves and just looking at the clues that are around the NBA right now, it almost feels like this could be more feasible than any other plan to bring a team here that's been put out there over the last 13 years. In the wise words of the Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way we need to get (laughs) back to the NBA. I don't want to take someone else's team. As much as I love the Timberwolves or the Bucks, I I don't want to see them leave those markets. I don't want to see any city go through what we went through. And I think any Sonic fan should feel that way if they remember what it was like to lose the team, right? You don't want another fan base to feel that. It was terrible. That's why we need the justice of getting the team back, right? Is to, to make up for that injustice of having them robbed from us. So to, to me, you're right, Curtis. Never before have they said Seattle. They've implied it. They, they've, they've sort of let it be in, um, known that's who they meant, but never specifically saying the letters Seattle. And to hear it now, Curtis, I think this, this is when we start to really ramp up into NBA expansion in the Northwest and the Sonics returning to Seattle in a legitimate way. And look, you have the new arena, you have climate pledge arena that's being built. We know it has the capabilities of being an NBA arena, whether or not it does become that way. That's a conversation way down the line, but you also know the money's here and the investors are here who want the team, right? So, you know, that bill one to 3 billion, whatever the price may be, that money's here and someone or the a collective of some ones is going to make that, that price happen if the opportunity arises. So to me, it feels like within the next few years, I don't want to jinx anything. I'm going to knock on some wood, but I think we're going to be talking about Sonics basketball here in the Northwest in the not too distant future. And maybe even in the next few years, you have a team back in that, that Kelly green and gold. I like that. I feel like the NBA may have, have bought into what Seattle is selling back when the Kings and Warriors came to Key Arena for that exhibition mm-hmm. game because that was the first time the NBA had come back since leaving back in 2008. It had been, uh, what, 10 years since that time, and, and now we're up to 13 years since, since that happening. Um, but I think that was a night where they saw firsthand that there is a, a passion for basketball here, even without the Sonics. That was a sold-out arena for a preseason game. And, yeah, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson played that night. They're obviously going to draw people to any arena that they set foot in. But it, it started there, and then I think it, it started to snowball, even though it hasn't been so public. I think there may have been – you know, a lot of conversations behind closed doors about, hey, Seattle is is very 
ready for an NBA team again. And there are a lot of fans in this town that were scorned by that, myself included, that didn't really want anything to do with the NBA for a long time. And there are still plenty out there that would never want anything to do with the NBA, even if the Sonics do come back. And I get that, and I understand you, and I hear you. But the NBA needs Seattle more than Seattle needs the NBA. And I think that is something that whoever is in charge of the negotiations here in this town for the city of Seattle, they cannot give that power back over to the NBA because that has been what it that that's been I think the biggest thing that has gotten the city of Seattle so burned the last couple of times is that we have been at the mercy of the NBA for the Chris Hansen negotiations with the Kings and then obviously the Clay Bennett stuff back in 2008. This time, the NBA is is crawling to you. You don't need to, to bow at the almighty hand that the NBA is. You can kind of put it in, in your, what you know, what you're feeling here. Seattle, for whatever reason, or Seattle's been thriving without the NBA. Like, the city has been growing, and population booms, companies are flocking to this city. An NBA team isn't going to, you know, all of a sudden make it like this bustling metropolis again. It already is that, but it will kind of be the cherry on top of the Sunday because then we go from being a two-sport city to what we are now. We get the Kraken this fall. Who knows where the, if the Sonics, you know, when they come back, if they do come back, we go from a two-sport city to a four-sport city. All of a sudden, now you're a major player. I look at this in the comments that Adam Silver's saying, and it almost feels like, I don't want to say inevitable because my heart's been broken so many times, but I have never felt more confident that an NBA team is coming back to Seattle than right now. Yeah, I, you, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Seattle does have the leverage. It almost reminds me of Los Angeles with the NFL. And just it was that chip that kept being used and used as like, well, we could move to Seattle. You could move to Seattle. And then finally they had enough leverage to be like, we're moving to Los Angeles. So it's going to be a similar situation just with expansion, not uh, moving multiple teams, the NFL not expanding. But it, it just feels like such an opportunity for the NBA. And let me throw this scenario out there too, Curtis. You mentioned the big four sports, but – we know Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver have a nice, thick rivalry already built in. It's, it's deep in the MLS. We see it in other sports. We knew we had it with the Sonics and Trailblazers. You bring back Vancouver basketball. You ignite Ooh. the west coast of Canada, who now loves basketball, to, you know, with the help of the Raptors, helping them sort of take that next step. You bring back the I-5 rivalry of Vancouver, whatever's, Sonics, Trailblazers, and you use that to help build another rivalry in the NBA, generate revenue, build this basketball hotbed, which the Northwest already is. We produce so much basketball talent here in, in the Northwest that it's time for the NBA to capitalize it and turn it into a hotbed market for them, both for talent and for money. And you bring up Vancouver as a possibility because with any expansion in the NBA, they're going to have to expand by two 
Because if you expand by just one, that makes it an odd number of teams. It throws the conference balance out of whack. It's harder to make schedules that way. You expand to 32 teams, you put two teams in the Western Conference, then you can move, I think, like Memphis and New Orleans or Memphis and OKC Mm -hmm. to the Eastern Conference where uh, geographically those teams probably belong. Um, And the expansion fees, kind of anywhere between a billion to three billion Times that by two, that's about four to six billion. Divide that up by 30 teams. That more than makes up for the revenue lost due to COVID. I think there was the estimation that a billion dollars last season had been lost due to gate receipts and and, uh, merchandise and, and concessions and all that, ticket sales and all these arenas. That is more than making up for the revenue lost uh, across the NBA by putting two teams back into the league. Uh, it, it just makes sense at this point. And, it, you know, other leagues may not be in a position to expand. The NFL, not in any position to expand. They've already got 32 teams. Uh, NHL is is just now expanding. Uh, Major League Baseball, maybe they, they play around with that in the, the next decade, but uh, they've got their own issues to worry about with their CBA negotiations. The NBA, I think, is in the most need to expand right now because of all that they lost. And, hey, there are a lot of markets on the West Coast that are are ready for a team, Seattle being at the very top of that line. Uh, Coming up in the next hour, we take you through the big three from a national perspective. Hot stove and baseball heating up a little bit. And then bowl season last night with a huge upset win in the Sugar Bowl. And then some NFL headlines, including who's getting their pink slip on Black Monday. We discuss that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday.